Welcome to the podcast, Think Biblically, Conversations on Faith and Culture. I'm your host, Scott Ray, Dean of Faculty and Professor of Christian Ethics at Talbot School of Theology here at Biola University. I'm your co-host, Sean McDowell, Professor of Christian Apologetics at Talbot School of Theology, Biola University. We're here today with a very special friend. Uh, Gina Pastore is with us. You may, you may recognize the last name Pastore from her late husband, Frank, who pitched in the major leagues with the Cincinnati Reds, Minnesota Twins, uh, and then host, hosted a radio show for a long time on KKLA. Um, and G- Gina has just come out with a, a brand new book called Picking Up My Shattered Pieces, subtitled Bouncing Back When Life Throws You a Curveball. Uh, so Gina, there's, uh, there's a ton of backstory behind the book that I'm really anxious to get into, and I think our, our listeners will find really not only entertaining, but also really helpful to them. So thank, thank you so much for writing the book and for agreeing to come on and uh, to talk to us about it. Well, it is such an honor to be on with you both, and you both were very special to Frank. He had you on the—you were regulars um, on the Frank Pastore show, gosh, six and a half years ago, and just so cool to know that now you're both hosting this podcast. I love it. Frank would be so proud of you. Well, I— I, I, I told Frank a long time ago that he taught me almost everything I know about how to be on radio from how lousy I was when I first started out with him. And he, he was so you patient. Not lousy. He was so patient. And he just he taught me how to do this. And he said, quit he said, quit being an academic, cut to the chase and explain it clearly. <laughs> you know, long exactly long before I ever did this, he invited me up and I came up and watched the show for three hours and he would pause oh. in between commercials and go, Hey, here's why he did this and I'd ask him questions and I still to this day remember some of the things he said for example he said to me I asked him I'm like how do you come up with an interesting question he goes you know what if it's interesting to me and I care it's going to be interesting to my audience and that just made so much sense yeah exactly he was just very practical about it yeah. Well, it's super encouraging to see the the radio thing has come full circle and now you've got your own show uh, the oh, show, the yes, show, and real, that's a miracle. Re- real life. We'll hear more <laughs> about that in just a minute. But her, her program with David James, uh, Real Life, uh, it's on Saturday nights, 7.30 p.m. on KKLA. Is, uh, is, we want to be sure and tune into that, too. So, Gina, uh, let's, let's sort of start kind of early on. Because, um, you know, knowing Frank like we did as a student and as a really good friend, I can imagine where being married to Frank was like a very wild roller coaster ride. <laughs> uh, and, you it know, was. <laughs> but re- and reading about this in the book just reinforced what a what a wild ride he took you on from when you were just a teenager. Uh, I so, was. Well, we'll get into the story, and I I hope. Um, this is not for the faint of heart. I'm, I'm being really honest. I spilled it all out in my book. But I met my husband. I met Frank when I was just 11 years old, and he was a much older man of 15. <laughs> and he walked into the house. He was playing baseball with my brother at an all-boys Catholic high school. And I had heard his name a lot because he was known to be um, a flamethrower. Everybody was talking about this Frankie Pastore guy. So he walks into the house. I'm only 11. I'm not hormonal. I'm not romantically inclined at 11. 
But he just blew me away. His personality was bigger than life. He was gregarious and loud and loving and fun, and I was attracted to him. So I had a crush on him, but we didn't go out on our first date till I was turning 15 and my father allowed me to go out with him. Quite a story. Um, so he, he asked me out, he was 19 and like I said, I was 15 and he had already signed with the Cincinnati Reds. So I was going out with this, you know, much man of the world and, um, I guess, um, I don't know if it's unfortunately for my parents, um, the two of us were very much um, attracted to each other and we began falling in love, but we didn't start like officially dating till I was 16. He had come back from the ball season and asked me out again and then we started dating. He was now 20 and um, we were falling in love. So as you can imagine, that started chaos in my Italian home. I grew oh, up I in this. I can just imagine your dad completely <laughs> flipping out. <laughs> well, he really liked Frank. He was just kind of like, my mom was the one flipping out. My dad was trying to slow us down and convince my mom that nothing was going to happen. But the fighting got got to me. So... The fighting was going on. Frank was, you know, going to be leaving for the ball season again. We were not going to see each other for seven or eight months. And so we got together and we devised a plan. And we did what any normal 16 and 20-year-old would do. (laughs) We eloped. Yeah. That's That's how it all started for Gina and Frank Pastore. And I tell you, your dad was not too thrilled about your decision to elope. Well, no, he, um, we had it all planned out. And again, it's all in the book, but, um, my dad, of course, when he found out that we had eloped, he not only put out an APB, they actually could not put out an APB on Frank for 24 hours. So they put it out on the car we were in, but we hopped on an airplane and we're flying to Birmingham, Alabama, but that's a long story. Anyways, um, but yeah, my dad and then my dad also did what any father would do. He called the Cincinnati Reds organization to inform them that their star (laughs) minor league pitcher had just eloped with his 16-year-old daughter. Wow. So Frank, um, after getting married, of course, my dad um, forgave us and wanted to give us his blessing. And he really did love Frank. He loved Frank his whole life. And so um, we're thinking that Frank's ball career is over because the Cincinnati Reds are like, oh, my gosh, you eloped with a 16-year-old girl. And Frank had also broken his finger the season before. So he's like, honey, and, and he had felt like he had not lived up to their expectations in the minor leagues. He was kind of inconsistent with his wins and losses. So he prepares me that he's probably not, this baseball thing's probably not going to work out, but we're going to go to spring training, and he's probably going to get released. And then he really wanted to go to law school. So I was good with all that. We go to spring training, and out of nowhere, he starts pitching like Cy Young, and has wow. the best spring training of any pitcher. Johnny Bench pulls the manager aside and says, this kid is ready for the show. So um, at 17 and 21, we are now in the major leagues. Oh, my goodness. Unbelievable. Yeah. 
So what what was that like being married so young to a, a pitcher in the major leagues uh, with all these other, you know, with the, with the whole baseball wives community and so what, what was that like? Because you were, you were 16, 17 years old. I was 17, yes. Um, it was extremely terrifying. I will be very honest. I was terrified. And you have to remember, this was the big red machine era. These people, uh, the Cincinnati Reds, in the years prior, had won, you know, the national championships and all that. And they were, old, you know, considered older. They were, oh, my goodness, at least in their late 20s and some in their early 30s, you know. So here we are. They called us the kids. That was our name, the kids. And, and Frank, of course, was, you know, um, thought of as bold and sort of brash and co- very confident and all that. So they were going to keep the kid in line. And um, it was funny. We got teased a lot. Um, just we went out when Frank made the big leagues and decided that we had to buy a fancy car. And we bought a Cadillac. So I'm 17. I'm driving this Cadillac with a license plate that said Reds 35 on it. And so we're getting teased, but the wives were, of course, like I said, older, and they were, they had their, you know, diamond necklaces with their husband's numbers and their fur coats and all of that, and I was just intimidated of them. So it was uh, pretty interesting, and also in the major leagues, um, there are challenges. There are long road trips where your husband's gone for long periods of time, and there are lots of pretty girls and women mm. after ball players. So that was a bit of a challenge, too. I had to get used to that kind of a thing, you know. Gina, we want to get into some of the specifics of your book, Picking Up My Shattered Pieces. But before we get there, would you share Frank's journey to faith as well as your journey to faith, ah. what that looked like and how they intersected? Okay. And, and Sean, as I've told you, your dad was a part of this. Mm. Um, so my husband was raised nominally Catholic and very bright, very good student, asked a lot of questions, especially at the um, all boys Catholic high school and wasn't getting the answers that were satisfying to him. But he loved, interesting though, he loved going to church. I used to see him at mass on Sunday all by himself on the other side, praying and all that. So he, it was very interesting. He really had a heart for God, but he was skeptic. He was a skeptic. And so uh, he gets into the major leagues. And of course, um, part of the story is that because of uh, what goes on on road trips, as I was talking about with women and stuff like that, I basically put my foot down and I told him that he had to hang around certain players. It just so happened those players we're born again Christians. Aha. <laughs> and I didn't. Un- it, it unknown wasn't because, to you. Yeah. I, I didn't uh. pick them because they were born again Christians. I just knew they were good guys and they were friendly and their wives were friendly to me. And they liked to play cards and bridge and stuff like that. So Frank fit right in. So he said, okay, honey, I'll, I'll do that. I'll do that. You know. So he's hanging around these Christians, and they're, of course, trying to what's called share with him and give, them, <laughs> give him their testimony. So 
so Frank Pastore is just firing questions at him left and right, and they're kind of like, oh, my gosh, we can't answer all these questions. They go to the team chapel leader who happened to be, uh, his name is Wendell Deo. He happened to be uh, the number two man with Athletes in Action, which is an arm of Campus Crusade for Christ. And Wendell just played it perfectly. And he knew that Frank was a reader, so he got some books. And one of the books he got was The Evidence That Demands a Verdict. That's cool. By, by Sean's dad, uh, mm. Josh McDowell. And it was chapter seven, to be exact, that got my husband, Liar, Lunatic, or Lord. Mm. And Frank was just. He had been reading, and these guys had been loving on him. He had gotten hit by a pitch um, off of the bat of Steve Sachs that nearly shattered his elbow. And he was just at a vulnerable place in his life, and he had always liked to go to church and go to chapel, and he liked these guys. And the he got the answers from the books that he was given, and he basically called me one day and said, honey, I've given my life to Jesus Christ and you need to also. (laughs) And my first reaction was, Frank, do not become a Jesus freak. (laughs) (laughs) I was not happy about it, even though I was Catholic and I was, you know, I believed in Christ and I believed in a, a lot of things about God and the church. I did not want to, for him to become that extreme and embarrass us. So that that was how um, I reacted. Well, you got to take the story a little bit further because obviously you came full circle and became a believer. <laughs> what was that journey for you then? He started inviting me. Frank was, you know, going to Bible studies now with other players, and and kind of the man orchestrating these Bible studies was Tom Hume, who was a star pitcher for the Reds. And they would have barbecues on off days. They would do the barbecue thing and then have the Bible study. And I was so stubborn, Sean, that I would say, no, I'm going to go to the mall today. You go. So he went a few times without me. And I was just really holding out, you know. And then I broke down one time and went. And I was like, wow, this is really good stuff. And this is making my husband a better man. What is my problem? So I kind of slowly went into the kingdom. It wasn't a, you know, a one-time decision for me. It was more of a gradual descent into the kingdom. And when I look back now, I am just, I get very emotional thinking about that because it was my husband that brought me into the kingdom. For those of our listeners who who may not, know you or or didn't know Frank or much about his story. Um, tell us tell us a little bit about what it was like to lose him. Oh, well, and many of your listeners, I you know, probably will know this story, but Frank was, um, after he attended Talbot, he had started a ministry there at Talbot um, called the Tibbs Program, and Scott, I remember you were a part of that. I was. And through a series of events, he ended up thinking that he was not going to be in ministry anymore. He had kind of been, had a burnout and he'd been kind of in a political situation. And through that, that caused him to really grow though. He started going to therapy. In fact, at the Biola Counseling Center. And also he was a big follower of our great friend, Dallas Willard. 
And so Frank would listen to Dallas tapes all the time. He immersed himself in everything that Dallas ever wrote. And through that process, he really became healed from the burn burnout that he had had and even was able to forgive. And God showed up and opened up an amazing door because at that point, Frank had um, gone to Claremont Grad School. He was working on a Ph.D. in political science and had just said, I'm done with ministry. I want to go. I want to teach. I want to teach political American politics. So that was his plan. Well, we make our plans and then God laughs, right? So Frank's decided he's going on that trajectory and all of a sudden this huge door opens up and he's given the opportunity to um, host the number one largest Christian talk show in the United States of America on KKLA. So he began a wonderful nine and a half year career and um, a lot of healing took place and just was in his sweet spot. And it's an amazing, really, this is a neat part of the story because God really does work through disappointments in our life. And if you're listening and you're saying, I'm going through a lot of stuff, then you've got to read uh, Shattered and you've got to read my book, Picking Up the Shattered Pieces, because I lay it all out. But one day, it was November 19, 2012, Frank left for the studio and um, his last words he said to me going out the door were, honey, tonight's Monday night football. Let's, you know, watch the game together. I have dinner on the table. I said, okay. He walked out the door, and I never was able to talk to him again. Wow. He, um, he left the studio after doing his show and was hit on the freeway. He was on his motorcycle in the diamond lane. He was struck down and ended up in a coma for four weeks. And then he passed away. Um, A month to the day, he passed away. And I just have to tell you, it was the most shattering event I have ever gone through. And as I shared earlier, I married him at 16. I didn't, I, I had never been an adult without Frank in my life, you know, even a child without Frank in my life. So it was beyond, and we had, you know, our marriage was not perfect. We had our fights and all that, but we had an awesome marriage. We loved each other. We were very much attached and very happily married. And, you know, I just couldn't see a future without Frank. And I went into this whole world of what's called grief. And it's so interesting because even in the church, we know we do so little about grief. I mean, think about it. I would walk into Christian bookstores and I'd see the books on grief. I never picked one up because why would you if you're not going through it? It's kind of a distasteful thing. We don't want to think about it. We don't really want to read about it, certainly, if we're not going through it, you know. So, um, but I, when, when Frank passed away, all I wanted to do was learn about grief. And, um, and now um, I have the privilege and honor of, of spending time with other widows and widowers and people going through tragedies and helping them through it. And that's, that's one of the reasons I wrote my book. Gina, I can only imagine 
just some of the, the, the pain and hurt you went through. You mentioned being 11 when you first saw Frank. I first asked my wife out, separate story, when she was 12. So oh. we just we have a little <laughs> bit of a history like that. So as I hear you talking, you know, I'm, I'm putting myself in, in your shoes as best I can. And just thinking about how much I miss Frank as well. I mean, his show was the show to listen to. Not only did yeah. he have me on as a guest, but I listened all the time and just think about him frequently. So... Here you are, you go in the store, you get, you start actually looking for books on grief and you're trying to pick up your life. Walk us through what some of those steps looked like through this process uh, of grief. Cause it's not a weekend thing. It's just an ongoing, no. in many ways, a lifelong process, isn't it? Yes. And that's a great question um, because people do have misconceptions about the whole grief thing. And, and now I can speak on it from a personal standpoint. Um, yes. I started picking up these books. I right away went back to therapy, and I went to the same therapist at Biola that Frank had seen. So she's she's just actually kind of like a part of our family. But she said to me, do you want me to tell you the, the science of grief? And I said, yes, I want to know. And so she kind of walked me through it. And man, if that wasn't right on the money. Um, it is a very long journey especially when you've been married, you know, X amount of years and you're very much used to being a couple and, and of course, the whole spiritual aspect of being one. You literally feel like a part of you is missing. So I would cry like in, on instinct. I wasn't trying to cry, but almost like every 20 minutes it would just well up. And she was really great about explaining, just let yourself cry. And again, in our culture, what do we do when we start to cry? We try to stop. We don't want to cry. (laughs) Now, there's a time when you do need to stop crying if you're being hysterical in front of people. But generally, crying is good. It's a way that our soul mourns. So I would just let myself cry, and I would feel those feelings. And let me tell you, grief is work. It's work, and it's exhausting. So, but if you do it properly, when you're supposed to do it, you're going to be better off. The problem is, though, is we, as a culture, we stuff it down. We don't want to fill it. We don't want to acknowledge it. And then what happens is it comes back and it bites you in the butt. Um, It's not uncommon for people who don't grieve properly to develop anxiety, depression, turn to alcohol, drugs, you know, a myriad of things, eating disorders. Um, It's very important that you grieve. And I am an advocate of counseling. I myself am becoming, I'm graduating in next week, in fact, um, from a program to become a spiritual director, which is a form of pastoral counseling. Congratulations. um, Thank you. So, yes, it's just very important to, to take these steps seriously and not stop yourself from feeling your pain and your grief. So, Gina, I suspect you, you know, a lot of the, the grief process was a good bit of introspection just about kind of who, who you are, especially now mm-hmm. that, now that you, you've got to explore now living life without Frank uh, and how much of a uh, how how intertwined the two of you were, uh, you that had that had to be a, a lot of just time thinking about who who am I, who you know yeah. who am I who am I becoming now? What what have you learned? Mm-hmm. What have you learned about yourself? 
oh, in, wow. in these last few years? <laughs> a lot. Um, actually, when you are grieving your spouse, what you're doing in part is you're renegotiating your relationship. And I'm going to get emotional here, but Frank will always be a part of my life. Mm-hmm. Always. Mm-hmm. He's ingrained in my soul. But I, you know, I have to go on without him. And that's hard in the beginning because you don't want to grow and leave your loved one behind. It's a strange thing. But that's part of the whole grieving process is getting through that. So, yes, there's been so much introspection about that. But slowly, slowly, God has walked me through it. And honestly, I don't know how people do this without God. I really don't. But... um, I clung to the Lord in it and the scriptures and everything that I knew about being a Christian. But honestly, when I look back now, I kind of think, oh, my gosh, I was shallow. I was so shallow because pain and loss deepens you as a person and it makes your priorities just pop out. And I I was always a person who had pretty good priorities. But let me tell you now, I don't sweat the little things as much. Um, I've learned what it's like to go through a big tragedy. So am I really going to get upset when, you know, the water spills off the counter or something? No. So you just kind of deepen as a person. And then the second part of it is I learned, have learned to trust God. For instance, and um, uh, Scott, you knew me a little bit. Mm -hmm. Would you have ever thought that I would be doing a radio show? from what you knew of me in the past. <laughs> Be honest. I love you, Gina, but probably not. <laughs> <laughs> You're being honest. No, and I, I'm the last person who would have thought that I would be doing a radio show. But the Lord was gracious with me. The, the station asked me to do the show about six months after Frank passed away to do a Saturday show, and perhaps I could, you know, get into my grieving and all that. And I said, no. So I left, and I'm in the car on the way home, and the Holy Spirit, you know, that soft little voice that creeps up on us, he starts talking to me and saying, you know, you always say no to me. And I I just kind of stop, I'm driving, but I'm like, oh, wow, I do, don't I? And I had this little conversation with, with the Lord, and I, I, by the time I got home, I thought, you know, maybe I could try this. I, I did feel like I wanted to help people because I was learning so much about grieving. And I got home, and I called the gentleman at the station, and I said, you know, I am going to think about it. But I waited a year. My, my wonderful counselor at Biola um, recommended waiting a year to make any major decisions. And so I started the show about a year after Frank passed away. And it was very difficult to go out of my comfort zone. I, I'm not a, I, I don't like being a public person, I'll be honest. I'm a um, one-on-one, private type, quiet person. But the Lord has kind of shown me some gifts that I have down deep that I probably, you know, as a child, I was a mass lecturer and stuff like that. And I love to do plays. And so I guess I have this, this side of me that lay dormant. And um, I just want to encourage people to be careful what you're saying no to sometimes <laughs> mm, because here, here. the Holy Spirit um, may prompt you in a way you never expect. Well, I'm sure glad you did the show. I enjoyed driving up. It must have been within the past two, three years to meet you and your yeah, co-host. Yeah, it was 
last year, yeah. Big wave, Dave. We had a great time, and <laughs> we had fun, but you cover substance, too. That's that's really the trick, so I hope people will tune in. But if I, if I could ask you one more question. You know, I was sure. just biking yesterday with my wife and ran by somebody that, when I was probably eight years old, uh, lived with our family and just kind of helped my mom do certain things at our home. And she drove by, we reconnected, and I could just see instantly, man, something is wrong. And she had mm. just lost her husband of years yeah. like a month ago. And of yeah. course, I know I can't fix it and just say, man, I'm sorry. And we just listen and try to be present. But what mm-hmm. would you say speaking to that person? Because I know there's people here who are just listening mm-hmm. to this who are either grieving right now or maybe working through that process. What words would you say is if the audience you're speaking to right now is that person that is just fresh? Well, I and I've had those situations where I've run into someone now as a widow. All I do, if it's appropriate, um, I hug them and I don't say anything. And it's so interesting because when people are going through things, we, we feel like we've got to say something to them. And I'm going to tell you, that was one of the, that's hard. When Frank passed away, people said some things that I wanted to smack them. Mm, You're going sorry. through this deep mm. personal pain. And for someone to come and say, oh, um, you know, you shouldn't be crying. He's in heaven now. I, someone said that to me. And I'm like, ma'am, <laughs> and this boldness came out of me. I'm like, Jesus cried when Lazarus died, and we cry when people die. And I know my husband's in heaven, but I'm sad, you know. And you shouldn't have to do that, but people just try to, they try to fill in the gap, like we got to say something. And often the best thing to do is just to be quiet. If you're close to the person, just be there for them. That's what that's what helps you heal. It's not, you know, trying to go up and say a Bible verse to them and make them feel better or whatever. You're not going to make them feel better. What makes them feel better is knowing that you care and you love them. If you're close to them, knowing that you're in it with them. And I had so many people um, grieving with me and that, that was a blessing. And not everyone gets that because Frank was very much in the public eye and he was very loved. But that blessed me so much that people were grieving with me. Well, I, th- I think it's fair to say that Sean and I have been grieving with you, too. Mm. Uh, Thank you. Because we, we both loved Frank dearly. We spent a lot of time on his radio program uh, and just we so have so appreciated his friendship. And, and, and we're so grateful to, you know, to continue to have contact with you. Uh, it's been very, it's very encouraging to hear kind of what, how, how God has continued to work. And I'm so grateful that you didn't say no to the Holy Spirit <laughs> when uh, it came time to take, take on that radio program. And so I would encourage our listeners at Saturday night, 730 KKLA, Real Life with Gina Pastore and Big Wave Dave. Uh, and you also, I also want to just remind our listeners her book is, is brand new, Picking Up My Shattered Pieces, Bouncing Back yeah. When Life Throws You a Curveball. The book is just, I mean, I, I could not put it down. It was so much fun to read. Uh, and it's just, it's a great, it's not only a great story, but it's got great insight about how to move forward after the kind of shattering loss that you've had. So, yes. Gina, thank you so much for coming on with us, for being honest with us, for sharing your story. Uh, and we you know, all God's best to you uh, as you continue to move forward, uh, especially with the radio program, 
uh, and watching your you know watching your kids parent their own kids. Um, that's got to be very satisfying for you. It is, and thank you both. I love you, and um, Scott, we got to get you up in the studio, and Sean, we got to get you back <laughs> on real life. I'm, I'm ga- any anytime. I'm game. Okay, so, that's great. Thanks so much, Gina. Thank you. God bless. This has been an episode of the podcast Think Biblically: Conversations on Faith and Culture. To learn more about us and today's guest, Gina Pastori. And to find more episodes, go to biola.edu forward slash think biblically. That's biola.edu forward slash think biblically. If you enjoyed our conversation today with Gina, give us a rating on your podcast app and share it with a friend. Thanks so much for listening. And remember, think biblically about everything.